Hey everybody, it's your girl Nick and welcome to another edition of the Bow Nose Business. This is such an exciting um, series. You are really getting to know our Bow Collective members. We have 52 amazing Black women who own million dollar businesses. And the purpose of this podcast is to really give you insight into their story, their becoming story. How do you become an entrepreneur? How do you do it successfully? They're going to share their strategies, telling you the good and the bad and the ugly of their business and give you some tips on how to do that successfully for yourself. So this week, I have the pleasure to introduce you to Donna Fitzgerald Schuler. She is the co-president of Answer Title, and I can't wait for you all to meet her. Hey there, Miss Donna. Hey there, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Listen, I'm so uh, excited to really have this time for you and I to chat, for me to get to know you better, for you to, I, you are a superhero to all entrepreneurs and we just want to know how the superhero got her cape. If you're okay with that, I would love for us to just have a conversation about how you became a successful entrepreneur. What do you say? Sounds good. I look forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go back. I, I love how Michelle Obama, and this is what we've done with all of our both sisters, the becoming story, right? Because so many times we look up to our idols and we thought, you know, we think that maybe there's something that made them, you know, they were born extraordinary, but we know through our becoming stories that, hey, there were things along the way that helped nurture the person that you are today, right? Yeah. Yeah. All righty. So tell us about your childhood. You know, where did where did you grow up? Were you, you know, a, 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 a one of eight children? Were you, you know, an only child? Just tell us a, a little bit about, you know, little Donna, I say. <laughs> that's funny. You should call me little Donna because that, that's what they call me. Oh, that's great. Little Donna. Um, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I'm a fourth generation Washingtonian, which is rare to find yes. in the city now. It's because Washington's so transit. Mm -hmm. So I am one of six children. I'm the third child. And, you know, the middle child is the independent one. And um, my mother was one of 14. She was a baby girl of 14. And so I have a very large family. So the six kids around the dining room table to the cousins of the 14 aunts and uncles. So I really had a village raising me and it was a wonderful experience and still is all 14 are gone. My parents are gone, but I still have loving siblings that are, are you know, surrounding cousins. I love it. I love it. So, you know, being that, as you mentioned, the fourth generation Washingtonian, there's great pride. You know, I'm I'm from California. I came here um, uh, for law school in 93. So technically I've been here longer than I was at home. But I know a lot of my friends, my husband um, are third and fourth generation. Tell me what that means to you. What? How did that impact the person that you are? What, what type of pride and, and things did you learn um, being from DC? It, it, you use the right word, pride. Watching this city 
which is the nation's capital and hearing stories from my parents and grandparents about when and how they could come and go um, as a minority in the city, it, it, it shaped me and it shaped um, some of my uh, business fundamentals that I got from my father and how he started a, a bank because there were no black banks. There were no um, places where African-Americans could go to get loans, to buy homes. So I, I actually saw downtown change from white to black over generations. And it, it's a good feeling. It's pride. It's there's seven generations now in my family in Washington, and we keep telling these stories to them over and over again about what the city was like, what their um, grandparents and aunts and uncles endured to get where we are today. I love that. I mean, and, and so many of us, I, I think I fall in that, that, that category where, you know, you may know your grandparents' story. You're lucky if you know your great-grandparents, but there feels like that disconnection, right? Like you can't go so far back. And I would think that the fact that you can and you that oral history is being yes. just passed down, that has to give you a sense of confidence, a sense of self. It does. It does give me a good sense of self. I, I can go back to when my great great grandfather was on a, a ship and we have logs, ship logs, and he's in the Naval Museum. His name's there. So, I, yes, I can go that far back. I love, I love it. So, I will have to say now, I did say, hey, you know, people weren't born great. You kind of might have been born great, Miss Donovan. <laughs> I mean, this, this is pretty, this is a typical story. There are not a lot of people that can say their father, their, especially in the African-American community, uh, owned a bank. Can you tell me more about that story? You alluded to it, but can you go a little deeper? Because we, I'm assuming that had a direct impact on your career path. It did. It did. So, you know, the typical African-American story, my father did not go to college, um, graduated from high school, had to be very entrepreneurial because he got married, and, you know, had kids right away with my mother and had many careers. Um, he ended up selling real estate, had his own real estate brokerage company, but he couldn't find loans for his borrowers. So he went to his friends who were doctor lawyers, Indian chiefs, and said, in, back then the houses were twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. Would you like to be a private lender for Miss Smith or Mr. Smith? Because women couldn't buy homes by themselves at that time. And so he had private money to make African-Americans wealth back then. And it became so much, he ran out of people. And he said, you know what, this is 1968. I'm going to start my own African-American bank. And it was an independence federal savings alone located in Washington, D.C. It grew to be the second largest minority bank in the nation. And it also became one of the first or second uh, African-American bank to be on the NASDAQ stock exchange because it went public in the early 80s. So that was a big to do. And um we learned, we learned banking early in our, in our growing up in our household and starting the bank. We literally, the children and my siblings and I sat on the floor with him stuffing envelopes, which were letters going out to the community saying, would you like to invest in the bank? And, and people did. They brought their $5, 10 $15 to actually open the bank. And Herbert 
um, Hoover was right there cutting the ribbon and was at 6 and E Northwest Washington across the street from then uh, the department store uh, Woody's, Woodworth and Loafords, if those people who remember the store back then. Gosh, I am fangirling. I'm really trying to, you know, maintain my decorum as the, you know, as the host here. But girl, I am fangirling. I am so, so proud. I, I mean, I'm going to make this a requirement. All of these interviews that not only are both sisters watch, but we give them to our children. You know, my son, we, I'll take him to basketball practice and he will watch an episode. And you know how kids really are like, oh, I'm not listening. I'm not listening. He like turns up the volume on my phone, you know, as we're going. So thank you so much for sharing it, not only your history, your family history, but the city's history, you know, the country's history. That is yeah. is so incredible. Um, I did get the pleasure of talking to your uh, your your co-founder and um, and your partner, but I'd love to hear the story of you all meeting from you. Tell us tell us how you and Catherine formed the collective, and and what was it? You know, I I, I see from your family very entrepreneurial. You know, you were well steeped in the industry. But what made you, number one, want to do it on your, uh, um, go out on your own? But number two, what about Catherine um, made you confident that, that you would move in this direction? Wow. Catherine and I have a very unique background where our fathers compared background works. So I met Catherine, um, I guess, in 2002, 2003. I was the president of CEO of the bank when my father passed. I took the reign. I'd been working there for 25 years. And um, I was the first African-American female bank president in the District of Columbia. So there were a lot of firsts for, for Washington. And Catherine was the banking commissioner. And that's where we first met. And she came to um, discuss with me changing my charter from a federal charter to a local charter, bank charter. And so as we talked about our backgrounds, she just said, she told me she had lost her father and I had just lost my father. So it was about 18 months um, of losing our parents and we were crying. <laughs> uh, you know, after discussing Benjamin, we just started crying and I just saw her warm spirit and I said, you know, this is a great person. Uh, fast forward, we ended up in Leadership Washington class together, 2000 Wonderful. And um, became friends there too. We just solidified our relationship. Um, things happen, as I told you, it was a publicly traded company, the bank, and we had a, a coup and someone took over the financial institution. Um, um, and Catherine and I, Catherine was having, to, uh, not having, she left the banking commissioner's job. And so we were kind of free and we met for lunch one day after taking our kids to school and um, had a conversation about what's life after banking. And I said, I'm going to be chilled for a little while. I'm good. I've got my real estate license. I'm just, you know, going to coast for a minute. I've been working, you know, in our generation, you work from the time you're 15. So I just wanted a break. And Catherine says, no, we need to do something. And I said, okay. And we went back and forth about what talents we had. And we came up with why not a title company? She's got real estate 
um, background with her law degree and my banking and knowing the ins and outs of what banks need, we knew there was a niche that wasn't in Washington, which was a woman-owned title company and one that does commercial transactions. And we knew all the developers, we knew all the other bankers. So it was just a natural fit. Let's do this. That, that's how we um, ended up working together. I lost you. I can't hear you. I was okay. saying if we, if you guys say your answers and her answers match perfectly, like if you were on the newlywed game, like y'all would win a prize. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's perfect. I, um, so I want to, you know, I think the next thing we're really, um, creating a legion of followers of, of black women entrepreneurs with the Bow Collective. I want to, I want you to talk directly to them. Catherine gave us some of her critical um, things that she believed helped you all scale. And I want you to talk directly to those women coming behind you. They may not have a title company, but they are, are, are successful, but really want to scale up. Give me two or three things that you um, that impacted you in retrospect that you believe you made this decision at this moment to help your business grow. Uh, we learned very early on we had to diversify the type of business we had. Yes, there's title business. And yes, we handled residential commercial. Um, we were doing very well. The economy tanked in 2008 um, and we had to you know, leap into, oh gosh, what are we going to do? We've got this amazing staff, you know, very seasoned people in our, in our sphere. What are we going to do? And we decided to look for government contracts. And then we, uh, that worked for us. We got our 8A and we work for lo with local and federal contracts still today. Uh, the other thing that we did was start an abstracting company, a separate company, Answer Abstracts, because we were outsourcing our abstracting portion of our company and brought it in-house in so we didn't have to share the revenue. Uh, we, you just have to be creative. We changed some of our NAS codes for our federal contracting. Uh, we added janitorial because someone asked us to team with them because we were an 8A woman-owned hub zone um, in a bid. Uh, we also went into construction management, which again changed our NAS codes, but it's all real estate um, centered. Uh, we did the financial end of it as and subbed out the you know hammer nail part of the the transactions, and we've made some great, built some great things. No, I love I love that this is so good. Not only for you know people starting. Um, Everything you said about scaling is something we inherently uh, know. Well, I will uh, strike that. I don't inherently know. We know from learning that partnerships, strategic partnerships is a way to scale that you're not, um, you know, if you're specialized and you stay that way, you can't fan out, right? So, you know, you, that, that might be a way to start a business, starting in a niche of expertise. But after you kind of plateaued there, looking for that diversification um, and those strategic partnerships that you have really met along your journey, right? 
navigating those, transitioning those and, and making it a win-win. Um, that might be your brokerage background. I see my husband do that a lot. You know, that win-win triangulation is, is such a key, I think, um, component of successfully scaled uh, businesses. Would you agree? I, I agree. I agree. Yes. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I, I want to leave you with one thing that's beyond business. I um, I didn't get a chance to ask um, Catherine, but I'm going to bring her back in a few minutes. You don't know that. That's okay. a little surprise. So I'm going to bring you both up and we'll talk about the Boat Collective. But for you, Donna, what is beyond business? You know, what after you know, you have accomplished so many firsts. You are, have been rooted in success, not only professionally, but personally. What are things that are beyond business for you that have a, a, a higher calling, a higher purpose in your life? Of course, God first. God, family. Um, and then for fun, I, I love golf and I love to travel. And I know that sounds silly, but I'm... I, make it a point to go to someplace spectacular at least every two years. And I've had the pleasure of, you know, climbing Machu Picchu and um, I look forward to going to someplace special in the next year or so after COVID has settled down. Oh, well, I love that. I thank you so, so much for sharing your personal becoming story, your rich history, um, within the nation's capital and just sharing yourself and your story with us today. you I know you have blessed so many people, so I'm so grateful to you for being here. Well, thank you. And thank you for allowing me to be part of the Boat Collective. It's, it's a pleasure. I, I get energized when I'm around my fellow colleagues in this group and you're doing a fabulous job, Nick. Thanks. Thank you so much, sister. Take care. And that does it for today's edition of the Bow Collective, the Bow Knows Business. I am so delighted that you all are on this journey. You're going to meet each and every one of our sisters. We're going to meet at 6 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Visit us on thebowcollective.org for more information. You can, uh, again, sign up for our podcast, our newsletters. We'll have events. We're so happy to know you. We're so happy to work with you. And we're so happy that you're joining us. Thank you so much. Take care.